Hello and welcome to another episode, one of the very last episodes of Chatting with Abby. Today I have a very special guest, Dave the Existentialist. How are you, Dave? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, we're we're going to keep your identity pretty pretty secure, but for those of us on Twitter who know you, what's your what's your Twitter handle? Uh, ooh, I think it's I changed it a bit. Uh, <laughs> I think it's at Climacus D. Uh, at the moment that sounds right that sounds right the existentialist i was just looking at it a minute ago so we're here talking today about your experience in the military which we're going to be very unspecific about that you're in some some branch probably the coast guard and uh and of a certain rank that we will not mention and just talking about what it means to be a Christian right now in the military and what it means to be conservative right now in the military. So what are your kind of your overall thoughts, initial thoughts on that? Uh, I'll, I'll add a little bit of more detail just to help uh, the listeners uh, with my, my unspecific military experience. Uh, I've never eaten a crayon. Mm. Uh, and many, many oh. people out there will, will know what that means. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so it is, uh, it's getting increasingly difficult, uh, not only to be a conservative in the military uh, in particular, but specifically a, a Christian uh, conservative or a Christian in the military uh, these days. Um, I have about 13 years uh, of various experience, uh, we'll say mm-hmm. that. And what it was 13 years ago uh, is a very different climate than it is is today um yeah and i didn't know if you had leading questions that you wanted to give me to talk about that or if you just wanted me to open up uh kind of a can on that (laughs) so i guess the, the the first one is just how do you square christianity with with war or at least readiness for war okay yeah um so that is that's a good place to start because there are a lot of christians that have a problem that they think uh, is from their faith, from scripture, mm-hmm. uh, with war and with the military in general. Um, there are some texts that they use kind of as their Lotus Classicus, which is a fancy way of saying their source texts, yeah. uh, to, to kind of create a theology or doctrine of pacifism. And mm-hmm. so right off the bat, some Christians have an issue with that, but the Bible itself actually doesn't. Um, so it's it's kind of important to establish that they uh, they look at texts like "Blessed are the meek," yeah, um, or "Turning the other cheek" as their their pacifist texts. Um, kind of those are some go-to ones, uh, but they they conveniently and well, I shouldn't say it like that. That's a little derogatory. Um, some of them may conveniently do it; others just may not know. Right. Um, but, but they ignore a lot of Old Testament texts that are very clear on when wars are to be fought about God commanding wars. Uh, and we can just be kind of um, kind of a generalist there and say, well, if God commanded wars or allowed wars in the Old Testament, um, then war itself is not a sin. Uh, and right. We can also look at, we can also mm-hmm. look at New Testament examples where uh, Christ, as he was doing his ministry, he, uh, whenever he came across somebody who asked, for healing or forgiveness or this or that, 
uh, he never dealt with them superficially. He, he dealt with their heart, which often was a call to repentance for certain besetting sins in their life. Right. Uh, and one such guy that came to him was a centurion. And uh, all Christ did was say, if you have faith, uh, he didn't, he did not uh, address the fact that the centurion was a soldier um, mm. and that that was an issue in itself. So we can kind of glean implicitly from that, that that wasn't a besetting sin. Um, and then there's also other texts uh, in the New Testament. And we're going to kind of touch into these two as we talk about the government's role and authority, but one of which is uh, in Romans 13, it says for uh, talking about the government's uh, ordained roles for he is God's servant for your good. Uh, but if we do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. And it's understood that bearing the sword is kind of two primary roles, one in defense of the people, which is the military aspect. And then uh, the second is for prosecuting just laws and punishing criminals. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's very clear that bearing the sword is a, a God-ordained um, occupation that has has a, a time and place. Yeah, there's at least that uh, strong, strong teaching there that at least just war can exist. Not necessarily every war is just, but it's certainly, certainly possible. So yeah. what, do you, what do you do as, as you've mentioned, where the climate starts to become hostile to the things that you believe in and value? Yeah, and that's kind of where the, the change has been uh, over the last decade and a half. Um, there's been this, there was this influx of, and I can't even remember who, um, who wrote this article recently it was an article or it was a substack but somebody was talking about how the new conservative right is hostile to the military mm -hmm. really what has happened over the last several years or so is the the nobility um and the honor that was associated with serving in the military to going to a foreign land to actually defend your borders um mm -hmm. which were attacked um that, that was noble, and it is noble, and it is just. Um, and it, a lot of conservatives and a lot of Christian conservatives saw the nobility and justness in that and were willing mm -hmm. to make that sacrifice. But there's been a, uh, a lot in the last 10 years, uh, even more recently, that has really eroded that sense of nobility and honor um, among conservatives and Christians in their service. Do you think that that's attack, an attack from the supernatural or an attack from uh, the top of, of the military politically? Uh, so, yeah, I'll put on my, my, um, my big conspiracy theorist hat here. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really into a whole lot of conspiracy theories. Um, you know, the, whether or not there's a cabal or group of people trying to run the world which i mean there's there are people that are obviously trying to do bad things no one's a fan of the world economic forum for instance right uh, but i'm gonna i'm gonna top all those <laughs> all those earthly conspiracy theories if you will and go cosmic uh <laughs> and say that the scripture is clear on satan and his demons are orchestrating rebellion uh on mass against god and who he is and his authority in the heavens uh, and their playground for doing that is earth uh, right. and they're victim. They're victims, and uh, 
puppets are our humanity. So the specific, what are some specific ways that the, that honor and nobility of the service has been attacked in the last decade? So going back uh, to what we spoke about a minute ago with there is a category of just wars. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly after 9-11, um, going over and finding the guys that planned and executed that attack and were certainly planning future attacks, going and fighting them uh, and essentially killing them and breaking their toys was very just, very mm -hmm. noble. Um, and that, that went on for years because there were many people out there uh, associated with that attack, still at large, and then there were others that they had trained and were planning future attacks. Mm -hmm. And we, that, was, that would be a just patriotism, a just uh, execution of justice, if you will, a righteous use of the sword. But as, as things continued, um, and as war was, was waged, one of, the, uh, one of the things you need to have a just war biblically, and this comes from Augustine and then Aquinas, uh, who are, were pretty smart on this stuff, is you've got to have a just cause. Mm. And it, it started to appear that the cause was no longer executing judgments uh, and or defense for your nation, but mm -hmm. it became it became kind of nation building mm -hmm. or it uh it became wealth building for a lot of uh contractors and politicians who uh we we became very aware had mixed motives now with why to go to war or to stay in war there's a conflict of interest if you will right and the uh, conflict of interest really really shoots holes in the just cause and right motives uh, elements of a just war. And when you've got politicians who should be serving people um, making money off a war, it really starts to re remove the nobility of it. So that was one of the first things that was eroded um, with the nobility associated with serving in the military. What do you what do you do with that when you have and you've committed yourself for a long contract with with the military? And then you feel it shift underneath you from something that's just into something that's unjust, but you're still committed to participate in it. Yeah, and that's where that's where the rub is for a lot of service members that are still in. Um, it's we have we have a standing military, so it's it's not just people getting called up here and there to go fight a battle or a war as they mm -hmm. pop up. And so what you do is you you still do your job. Uh, with conviction and knowing that it's it's noble to even be ready if a just war opportunity comes up. Right. Um, and so that's that's one of the threads of nobility that are still there is, okay, maybe some of the stuff going on in the Middle East is for wealth building. We're kind of dialing down there. Um, I'm still going to stand here and be ready for the next major conflict that threatens our shores. So there's there is that nobility and at least being ready, um, being ready to meet that need. So that's one of the ways. Another way is the uh, that on average, the lower ranking officer or the enlistee is not making big global strategic decisions. Um, right. And I say on average, but they're they're not doing it uh, at all. And so it's really the 
the top, the elites in the military, if you will, who have forgotten this just war theory. And so it's a long game solution. If you're a Christian and a conservative who understands just wars, say, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to put up with following orders now so that I can become a higher ranking um, enlisted advisor or officer. So when my turn's up to make these big brain strategic decisions, I've, I've got a just war working theory and I can bring that to the table. Because uh, if, if everybody with a backbone left the military, it'd be, it'd be worse off. Yeah, we're certainly seeing that with, I, I don't want to shift the conversation to cops, but I think we're seeing that this same attack on, on the police force. Yeah, that's, that's another really difficult, similarly difficult situation. Yeah. So what, what else beyond, beyond the just war issues with, with that, are there other things that are coming down from the top that are attacks on your conscience or your values? Yeah. So the other kind of issues are um, where the government, and this is indicative of the federal government as a whole, uh, but then it, it goes to kind of, uh, it goes to the secondary issues that are not war fighting issues, but it's mm -hmm. making them necessary in the military. So uh, as we've established, the government does not wield the sword in vain. It's got authority. Mm -hmm. um, but there are things outside of government authority. Um, and those things are under the Lord's authority. And even the things under government authority are also under the Lord's authority. But mm -hmm. it's when they, they start overreaching into realms of authority that they have, have no business in. And we're, we're kind of uh, we're kind of looking at them redefining institutions that were were set up by God mm. um, in in their their authority overreach. One of which is the transgender uh, issue going on, the stuff, the policies coming down that have zero uh, they have no business on war fighting, to be uh, to be frank. But they're making these transgender policies um, an issue. There's also um, there's women in common that uh, the Bible's pretty clear on how that's that's not the way it's supposed to be as well. And then uh, third is not the COVID vaccine being available. I, I hold nobody uh, morally wrong or sinful for having taken the vaccine, but the way mm -hmm. the military is going about mandating it, uh, especially those uh, with those who put in religious exemptions, there's some pretty unconscionable um methods they're using to enforce that so those are the kind of the three uh transgender women in combat and then the way they're handling the covid situation so let me ask you about those kind of one at a time uh starting with the vaccines i've heard people make an argument that you know you've basically given your body to the government what um what argument do you have to stand on for uh refusing the vaccine so, yeah, um, you have, in a sense, given your body uh, to the government, but it's also been given to protect your family and your borders. And the mm -hmm. government does have a have a priority in, in readiness. It's one of their big buzzwords is not just having a force established, but having individuals within that force ready. Uh, and that makes sense. So they have some authority, um, much authority, in fact, more than a, a civilian company would in making mm -hmm. sure that their employees are ready to a degree. And that, mm -hmm. that is a strategic, um, a strategic priority that reasonably falls under their purview. Mm 
But the issue becomes too, though, is where where are the service members also constitutionally protected? What rights do they have? And there are there are regulations that allow for appeals for certain vaccines that violate conscience. Um, and this is this is one of them for many. And the uh, kind of as this played out, a lot of people put in requests to get a religious accommodation um, mm-hmm. through the through the regulatorily allowed process through and militarily speaking, the legal process. But um, those service members are being treated differently based off of those religious requests. And the, the justification they're using is readiness uh, and health, but really it has no bearing. Uh, we've got plenty of service members getting and spreading COVID who've been vaccinated uh, just as as much or more so than those that have not been vaccinated. There is there is no difference between unvaccinated and vaccinated service members as far as spreading the disease or the effect. Right. Um, and so where the issue comes down is from the top, there's a lot of bullying going on um, to try and coerce service members into into getting the vaccine. And that's where a real moral objection occurs. Um, they uh, service members that are currently in the regulatorily allowed exemption process are not allowed to go to schools that are required for promotion. They're not allowed to travel outside of the state in a lot of, uh, a lot of cases or do any official travel. They mm-hmm. um, not allowed to deploy not allowed to go to conferences. These are all things you need to do to do your job and get promoted. So what it's turned into is a slow burn career killer as these soldiers who are playing by the rules still, um, or these these Marines or these um, sailors, as they're playing by the rules, they're getting uh, screwed over with long-term career killers. Because the, the military is one of those places where if you don't promote, they don't retain you. Right. So it's not it's not even like your long term prospects can uh, can look good if you don't go to another career advancement school. Your your clock starts then at that point on your career. So that's one of the ways that they're being um, unjustly treated based off of a religious conviction, and then. The second big issue is how many times have we seen the health or efficacy information on these vaccines change over time, where first they were the greatest thing ever invented, super effective, super safe, and slowly, slowly those talking points have been rolled back, and we realized that much of what we had been sold was a lie. And so at that point, uh, as a Christian, you say, well, I I can't function in accordance with known deception. Scripture is very clear on lies being Satan's native language. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And if you knowingly as a Christian operate under the auspice of a lie, that is, that's akin to bending the knee to uh, an idol who you're lying about their authority as being God. You're, you're basically bending the knee to a lie. And if it's to save your own career, it's out of cowardice. Um, mm. Now, there are some people that would say, well, no, I'm a Christian and I don't believe these are lies. And that at that point, they're, they have a clean conscience in that sense. 
I'm not saying every everybody has to believe everything I believe about the vaccine or they're not a Christian or they're not doing it correctly. But if you are a Christian and you're convinced that they're doing, you're using coercion and deception to push this, then your responsibility as a Christian is to say, I, I live not by lies. I cannot be a cog in this wheel. Mm. And so that's, that's the, um, that's kind of the frustration with the COVID vaccine mandates uh, and the challenges coming down. Yeah. So what, what about the transgender issue? What's, what's that looking like? So uh, it's, it's looking, it's looking like men in drag. It's looking ugly. Uh, It's, it's looking awful. So this, this issue has nothing to do with, um, with war fighting or being an effective force. And in fact, um, I would say, and many would say, even if they're not Christian or conservative, they just have common sense that it hurts force uh, readiness. Yeah. So, and it violates scripture. The Christian needs to know this. This violates scripture at a at a core sense. Um, we get what we call the the doctrine of creation from the the creation narrative um, and story at the beginning of the Bible, where it says, "Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven." And then, mm-hmm. so God made man in His own image, uh, male and female. He created them. So you have this, this institution by God before, um, before any government institution existed or even any religious institution existed. Um, you had male and female mm-hmm. instituted. And then right after that, it says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So you've mm-hmm. got this, this created purpose in man and woman to be male and female and then to multiply. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, under, we understand that as a family. So before, before you had even a priesthood in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. before you had the church or any government institute, it was male and female in the family were the, the first institution by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, this is another bending the knee to lies when, you, uh, when you're a Christian. If you accommodate this at all, you are you are accommodating a lie and a deception. It's one thing to work around it in the environment, but it becomes really sticky when you have to use the pronouns or adopt the gender theory that they're sending out uh, as Army or Navy or Air Force regulation. They've all got something. The Air Force has, um, they've got a, what's the Lieutenant Colonel? Bree Fram. Um, It's a dude cosplaying as a lady. And man, if you say that, uh, you're going to get in trouble if you if you operate under that that reality. So that's that's one of the ways that the Air Force is doing it. Um, and of course, it's not a what you consider a uh, normal military service, but you've got uh, it's a uniformed service still. You've got Doctor uh, Rachel, uh, or not Rachel? What was his real name? You got Doctor Levine. Yeah. 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 You've got you've got Doctor Levine. Um, he's absolutely lost his damn mind being celebrated and you can't so much mm-hmm. as question that, uh, in uniform publicly and be heard by the wrong people or you're, you're in big trouble. But, um, and I want, I want to point this out too, uh, in a lot of the places where scripture talks about Satan being a liar and there being no truth in him, it also says he's a murderer. It's kind of these twisted mm-hmm. twin scenario. Of he's a liar and a murderer. Those are the two 
most prevalent defining factors of Satan. So if you're a Christian, you, you understand uh, we don't do violence against each other because we're the image bearers of God. Mm -hmm. um, we don't do unjust violence against each other. That's, that's violence against the image of God. But so is living under a lie. So is sharing a falsehood or deception. Um, it is also violence against the truth. Uh, and we know that God is true and all truth is defined by him. So when you're a, you're a Christian dealing with this transgender stuff, you've got to figure out how to do your job that's noble to be ready to fight the enemies of the United States. Um, but uh, you've got to be able to do it in this environment that's growingly hostile to truth mm. and the transgenderism issue. And there's some really funky situations. Um, so if you've got a, a dude who wants to be a girl and goes through the procedures and a military doctor says, okay, you have to treat this, this male as a female, and you're going on a training exercise or, or doing something, you have to, you have to lodge males with males and females with males. Mm -hmm. and so all of a sudden you've got this male who identifies as a female and you've got a few females. And it doesn't matter if this is a linebacker of a dude that could be playing NFL. You've got mm -hmm. to go to these females and say, are you comfortable if, if this so-and-so or so-called female lodges with you? Or you've just got to make that assignment as a command decision. And then all of a sudden you're putting these real actual uh, women in uncomfortable and potentially unsafe situations. Mm. And they, they can't raise a stink about it or even the slightest concern without the fear of being labeled anti-trans bigoted. Um, so that's another one is uh, a lot of urinary analysis done in the military because drugs have been an issue um, mm -hmm. from time to time. So, and you've got to, you've got to have a viewer. So uh, if I've got to do a urinary analysis, I've got to have a dude walk into the bathroom with me. Well, what do you do? And uh, I've seen this situation happen. You've got a pre-operational dude who a, a doctor somewhere wrote a memo that you've got to abide by that says, hey, this dude's a female. You've got to treat them as a female. How do you ask a female in your formation to go and be the viewer for this dude to pee in a cup? Like, how yeah. do you do that without, yeah, how do you do that without violating every natural sexual ethic? Um, and they're doing this while sexual assaults and harassment numbers are going up too. So yeah, th those are. Yeah, it's such a tough, it's such a tough thing because I think that there are some people listening who are probably going to be like, serves these women right for trying to enter a space that was should have just been men and I kind of just want to leave that aside and and recognize that at least for the for the person who's in that command role still has to make a moral choice or try to figure out how to make something like a moral choice in the situation no and that's you're exactly right um and a bunch of uh, leadership leadership boils down to making the right decision uh and moving your formation in that direction um, so yeah, so you say you've got a commander somewhere who's got uh, a command of 50 people, you don't actually get to pick who's in your command most of the time. Mm -hmm. So as it boils down, depending on what the job is, you're going to have at kind of a, a rough estimate, you're going to have 40 males and 10 females. And that mm -hmm. as the commander of that, that unit, you have no control over that. 
you just get who the recruiters send and who who gets sent into your your formation by whatever reason and at that point it's your ethical decision isn't who do i put on my team but how do i take care of and accomplish the mission with the people i have um and that becomes your goal how do you do how do you do right by them so if let me just sum everything up in kind of a hypothetical but a loose one let's say uh you're you're a commander of, of a certain number of people and you have you have some transgender issues like the ones you described that you're trying to do right by you have a situations where you have women um and you're trying to decide whether to you know what what to do with that even though that some of that violates your conscience and then and then the the vaccine thing where not only are you thinking about your own body and your own conscience but but men and women underneath you in their bodies and their consciences, how do you, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you have to resolve in yourself. Um, <clears throat> you have to resolve in yourself to oppose uh, the big policy and say, I have scripture. I'm not going to agree these mm -hmm. um you have to first figure out where you stand for me it, it is both hard and um I'm a lay elder a pastor of the church which means that i'm not on i'm not on full-time paid staff but i'm on the board of elders and i i fill in for bible teaching and preaching every now and then uh and for me i kind of had to say okay how am i going to take a really firm stance on these things these people are hearing me preach from the pulpit from time to time my my life better match up to that and so mm -hmm. i i was in a position where i realized i had to make my my job circumstances subordinate to the word of god and i had to be really serious mm -hmm. about that and then i realized well that's where every christian needs to land if they're going to figure out how to do this stuff with a clean conscience so right. basically it's it's getting to know why you believe what you believe in the word and then when these policies come down, you say, okay, these, these may be around me, but you've got to realize where you stand on them is not, not where the leadership wants you to stand. Um, and so you, you've, got to, you've got to know where your heart stands first. And then as it starts having immediate effect, you've got to basically do everything you can to operate in that environment, doing a noble thing broadly, um, being ready to defend the nation. Mm -hmm. But realizing that at some point something may just come, turn on the corner where you've got to say i can't do that this is this is something i cannot do and being ready to make that decision uh when it when it occurs and maybe also a lot of creative problem solving along the way if you if you end up in kind of the worst worst possible scenario situation that you can kind of envision being likely what's what's the highest cost you can see yourself paying for standing on your convictions here uh probably dishonorable discharge um depending on yeah i i don't see anything worse than that but in that it's also pretty bad because that's essentially you have a criminal record at that point uh, with a dishonorable discharge that's that's what a lot of service members are are kind of willing to risk at the moment because that's that i think that's probably most realistically the uh the largest risk because you've got you've got nobody that's 
that's going to actually do anything to harm the nation or the people or their unit. Um, right. Yeah, unit loyalty is a big thing, too. Even if you don't like the stuff from the top, when you look around to your left and right, loyalty to the, to the service members around you um, is, is a pretty big thing. And so nobody's going to do anything to actively be a dissident. It's just mm -hmm. you've got to know in your conscience um, there may be an order where you've got to look at your commander or superior coming down and saying, sir, ma'am, sergeant, so-and-so, I, I can't do this. Um, and that, depending on how, how far they want to take it, you've got you've to be willing to ride that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of, well, most Christians probably, at least, at least in, in this country, uh, talk a big talk maybe, but have not fully counted the cost like Jesus told us to do and uh, are not necessarily prepared to follow through to the, you know, the worst possible conclusions. And I think it's really commendable that you are counting it and willing to, to take the dishonorable discharge if that's what it comes to. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, bolstered the faith of a lot of people because they've had to look at scripture and take a really robust, or yeah, they've had to take a really robust look at it. Say, mm -hmm. you know, there are times we've got to imitate our Savior in suffering, and if this is my time, so be it. Um, for some, you've you've seen who the guys without a lot of conviction are, but for others, you've seen a growth in conviction. So it it's been a it's been a positive and a negative in that sense. Yeah, I think that any type of persecution of Christians is a positive effect for growing people in their faith and, and weeding out people who were never really serious. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you you see that all throughout Scripture, so it's it also helps to have a, a really, basically, a, a robust trust in God that he builds his church and he mm -hmm. removes removes the chaff. Uh, and he preserves his people, as Scripture testifies to. Um, and so to have that understanding actually is is the long-term story, the meta-narrative is encouraging. Because you, you see the hand of providence uh, in it, even though the immediate uh, outlook is pretty bleak. Yeah. Well, any any final thoughts? Don't want to leave anything hanging here. Um... No, we kind of we kind of covered it. Um, I will just we we kind of overlapped it a little bit, but I'll talk about the women in combat also. We we kind yeah. of overlapped it with the transgender stuff. That uh, we we agree in the creation narrative that men and women have physical differences and purposes, mm -hmm. um, but there's also kind of an existential difference too. And uh, for women, um, it's not because they're incompetent or incapable. Uh, oftentimes, and I, I say this having served with many women who were far more competent and capable than most dudes I've ever served with mm -hmm. um, in very in varying roles, but just existentially looking at the outline of scripture, uh, women in combat is is not a biblically prescribed role. Um, in fact, there's many scriptures or many texts in scripture that talk about um, the unique blessing of women is to be a life giver and a nurturer, mm -hmm. and to voluntarily put a woman in a situation where she's asked to take a life rather than give life is a little bit of, is a little bit of an evil against 
her nature, her, mm-hmm. her unique creative purpose. And so that's, that's something else too, that's just a struggle um, for Christians. Obviously you work alongside who you work alongside and you don't resent that individual for being there. Right. It's, it's just another thing that says, man, how far away we're trying to do this noble um, honor, honorable calling, but how far away from God are we going to get uh, in order to get it done? Yeah. And you're living so close to the edge of morality anyway, like the, especially war, the situations are so difficult as far as even if you're doing the right thing and the only thing that you can possibly do, there are still those for even for men, just and even especially for men sometimes, uh, incredible amounts of guilt that you're already dealing with. And so to add to add actual, you know, going against the Bible to that just makes things so much. No, and that's that's a uh, that's a uh, an, an absolutely good point because you're you're working with this foundation where, in a just war, you are you're participating in an evil uh, mm-hmm. that is warfare. But if you're on the just side, you're not necessarily sinning, but you're being yeah. exposed and asked to do this this evil. There's there's uh, actually eight. I think eight Hebrew words that get translated into our one English word evil uh, in the mm-hmm. Bible. And mm-hmm. so there's, there's this category of evil of having to do something that's bad or calamitous, but you don't actually have any moral sin. Right. It's not, it's not a moral evil, but it's, it's a calamity. And so that, that sears the soul of men too. And then to yeah. add to that actual sin that they've got to do on the periphery to stay in this. Um, yeah. You're, you're taking men who are already, uh, and women who are already exposing their soul to something horrendous and just, right. just piling onto it. Uh, yeah, it, nothing good's going to come out of it. Yeah, and we see, we see incredible suicide rates among veterans, especially, especially as men and women begin to question the justice of the things that they were asked to do. Things that would have been difficult to live with, even if they had been completely sure that they were just. And then you layer all that stuff on top and then you have a real, a real mental health crisis. And, and I feel like just calling it mental health cheapens it because it, it really is, it really is dire. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad you said that because I, I was thinking today about how mental health has almost become this euphemism um, to, to overlook really what it is that's it's damaging the soul and the spirit with sin mm-hmm. either that you're doing yourself or is being being done against you but we're, we're calling it mental health but really it's it's a soul or spirit wrenching um scenario we're talking about and usually not just a mental health yeah uh, issue in, in my line of work we call it a, a moral wound when guys yeah. are struggling with these things and that verbiage just popped up actually oddly enough with this uh this vaccine um, mm-hmm. exemption, there are people, and I don't think they're wrong for doing it, but they're they're claiming, hey, if you make me do this, and I've got to do this, this is a moral wound you're actually inflicting on my conscience. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that we've got higher ups that'll start thinking along those lines of you can do more, you can do violence to more than someone's body, you can do violence to their spirit as well. Yeah, yeah. There's so much, there's so much there, and I'm sure we could keep talking for a long time, but uh, thank you so much for coming on, Dave, 
And uh, one more time with your, you know, where to find you on Twitter. Uh, I think it's at Climacus D uh, or Dave the Existentialist. Either should work. Um, yeah, that's that's where it's at. I think I have 245 followers and <laughs> most of them aren't bots, I think. Most of them aren't bots. This is Dave's second I, account. He I has think. been banned before. So definitely oh, yeah. go go yeah he was you what were you banned for dave want to tell us that uh sure um also if i can tell my funny suspended story over times uh <laughs> so i was i was banned it was when the um canadian police were trampling people with uh, horses mm. and I, I said everyone involved in that should be hanged um twitter didn't like that uh, and i woke up the next morning and my my twitter was gone permanently and i said hmm that that makes sense a little bit, maybe. Uh, but I've also <laughs> been suspended because I wished uh, I wished the banana flavored tums on Justin Trudeau, and apparently the banana flavor is so bad that it's it's wishing violence <laughs> on somebody. Uh, I such a self owned to tums. I I still think tums themselves reported you for that tweet, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, it, it could have been. Uh, but it's that bad that you will get suspended from Twitter if you wish banana flavored thumbs on anybody. And that is the advice we will leave you with. Don't wish banana flavored thumbs on people if you value your Twitter account. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on, Dave. And we will see you all on Twitter. All right. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.